You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. Yes, this is Pros Like Us number 100. Wanted to go ahead and signify that right at the top. Uh, preseason is obviously upon us. We had the first rash of games last weekend, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Of course, the Hard Knocks update. Uh, maybe not quite as impassioned as last week, but we'll certainly talk about that. Coach Zim, Jackson State. Let's see what happens there. Uh, Derwin James, big contract. Big Ten just signed a huge multi-billion dollar uh, TV deal. But first, the breaking news today as we record, probably a couple hours ago now, the NFLPA and the NFL, Deshaun Watson's people have come to a settlement on his case. He's going to be out the first 11 games, fine $5 million, and also the mandatory counseling. And I think when we talked about this initially, Alex, that was kind of the idea that, yeah, the games were going to be much greater, 11. I think maybe, you know, th- this is a little bit of a win for the Watson camp, I believe. The $5 million I thought would be 10 the amount that he made with the Texans last year for not playing. And the counseling was always going to be there. I mean, the NFL is just not going to stand for this. But, you know, I don't know. How did this shake out for you? What, what, what are you thinking? I mean, you're the one that listened to his press conference, and you told me that um, Deshaun just didn't sound like the most apologetic person yeah completely tone deaf on one hand he's saying that he's apologizing and and god bless the cleveland and national media that was there they didn't hold back i mean they really pressed him on this and you really didn't get a good answer but his exact verbiage was i stand on my innocence never hurt or disrespected anyone, but I want to get on with my life. So basically saying, you know, whatever apology and all these statements that the team released, that he, that his people released, that the NFLPA released, basically he's saying is all BS. I wanted to fight this to the end because I still believe I did nothing wrong. I don't know what to think. I don't know who's talking to this kid. He's obviously not taking any counseling from his advisors because they would say, hey, even if you don't admit complete guilt, you have to come off as like, hey, I did some things wrong. I'd like to do them over again or whatever. I would like to take those back, but you know, I'm going to get help. I'm doing this. I'm taking these steps, you know, and so forth. But it was, it just came off as very defiant and just, hey, I'm doing this just because that's what you know my employer and the league wants and i'm just looking to move on with my life that's what i got from it it's just another reminder that these guys get paid to play football these guys aren't choir boys you don't have to like them off the field these guys have more skeletons in their closet than most average people it gets magnified just because of the arena that they're in And obviously, you know, these situations happen a lot more than we're aware of. I'm not even talking about the Deshaun Watson situation. Just, you know, these athletes paying people off to keep, you know, their dirty skeletons off the, you know, the internet, off the television sets. It's a lot more difficult to do nowadays, but they still pay these people off. They're still hiding. I'm not defending Watson. 
you know, obviously what he did is it's pretty wrong and and he knows about it. He still for some reason is fighting against this, even though that the allegations are just preposterous. It isn't just one woman, right, that came out to say this. But let me ask you this question, Lou. The Cleveland Browns have never won a Super Bowl before. If Deshaun Watson with this team wins a Super Bowl in the next five years, you know he's going to become the hero, right, of that city because he is the quarterback that brought them there. So it's just, I'm speculating here, but I want to hear it from you. I mean, he's going to go from villain number one to being the cult hero, and they're going to put a statue of him out there outside of that stadium. Well, I think that's kind of what the Browns were hoping for when they when they made the deal. Obviously, they gave up a lot to get him. The unprecedented, fully guaranteed contract. I don't think they anticipated this much noise that they figure, okay, once we, you know, we can just get through this. Let's just get through this. You know, it's going to be this many games, that many games, whatever it is. Let's just get through this. And hey, once he gets on the field, we start winning games. You know, the narrative is going to change. People are going to start to forget. You know, in this case, I'm not so sure. I mean, it's this is very much a long term play because now he's going to go on nearly two full seasons of not playing football. He's allowed to practice by league rule until the season starts. But I, I think I just saw something where Stefanski is just shutting him down. So Brissett is the guy moving forward. But to answer your question, that is just so tough to answer right now. I would think that, yeah, maybe not quite the statue piece of it, but you're going to have certain amount of fans that just aren't going to forgive Haslam and just how this whole thing shook out. But you're going to have many other fans that are just like, yeah, whatever. The Browns, the Browns are winners. The Browns won the, won the championship. The Browns won the Super Bowl. They are so far removed from that conversation right now that it, that it's just even hard to answer. But my answer right now, if I have to, you're locking me down. I'm going to say that it's going to be split, and I don't believe they will ever. I don't think that unless it's like maybe well into the future and and, and so forth. But still, this is just too hot a subject. And going back to what you were saying as far as skeletons and so forth, I'm sure a lot of players and every all of us have regrettable moments, but not so much in criminal behavior where, again, with the words egregious and predatory are used by a judge. There are plenty of guys out there that can play football at a high level. So I don't think you can afford to have many of these guys in the league that have you know admitted to these things but he hasn't even admitted it so that that's the problem that I see in this whole thing is that if he would have been a little bit more contrite he just comes off as a dude that hey I just got paid all this money I'm innocent I don't know what the heck this is all about this is just you you know your legal system and rules putting their thumbs on me and I can't wait to tell my side of the story and everybody will know the truth then I just think he's just beyond that counsel. Hopefully the counseling that they put him under works. Yeah, I I just can't see Cleveland embracing him anytime soon. 100%, 90%, 80%. I think it's going to be, you know, they'll be lucky to get 50-50, I think. I think it's going to be 99% Cleveland fans that are going to be behind Watson if he wins them a Super Bowl, okay? Because this team is so loyal to its players. They've always been loyal to the team. I'm not saying people are going to forget, 
but they're gonna forgive and that's this is what this nation is about lo i mean look at some of the people in the political arena oh yeah look Eventually, at some yeah. of the people that some athletes that have you know, enjoyed success after being down. I have a feeling that most people outside of Cleveland are not going to let Watson and that organization forget about it, even if they win a championship, which is a huge if, right? I'm just posing the question out there. But I think yeah. in Cleveland, he's going to become a hero because he's going to bring them a Super Bowl that they've never won before. And that's the reason why I believe that most fans are going to forget about this in a couple of years. I'm telling I would just say to wrap this up is typically those people that come back do show some remorse and express some sort of guilt or you know just they did something wrong where you know it's the guy that just defiantly just keeps saying you know that I didn't do anything wrong isn't it but all these other people think I did something wrong but no no I maintain my innocence so that's going to be the tough thing for him to come back from is just maintaining the innocence when there's so much evidence that is pointing against them so we'll see you know God bless the the Cleveland Brown fans I mean obviously it's a downtrodden organization but they don't deserve this but the the leadership and you know they spoke today too the Haslam's and I would just urge anybody that hasn't seen it you know bring it up you know YouTube Google it whatever just to see what the what these people are saying the statements they're making don't line up with what Watson is saying about himself so that's for everybody else to draw their own conclusions so we had episode two of Hard Knocks still very entertaining not I mean it wasn't quite the the drama so much as as the first week but a few points you know for sure uh six-round rookie linebacker Oklahoma State is going to be everybody's favorite player sometime soon Malcolm Rodriguez or affectionately known as Rodrigo to the whole team I believe his linebacker coach or the defensive coordinator gave him that nickname but the dude just hits like a ton of bricks uh making plays and linebacker coach is, is in the linebacker in the film study and so forth with the rest of the linebackers just pleading with the rest of the group is you know I'm trying so hard not to put this rookie on the field but I can't help it he doesn't make any mistake you guys should be able to do this and it's just very cool back to Deuce Staley who again is quickly becoming a star and I couldn't help think because of his relationship with Andy Reid and all those years in Philadelphia as running back coach and so forth that that this might be another Eric Bieniemy again, where he had some head coaching job interviews and so forth, but it just, for some reason, teams aren't willing to make that bet, if you would, or have that confidence in him to kind of lead the group. But his interaction with DeAndre Swift after a particular play in the preseason game is must-see TV, and then he is so confident in him that he could be the best back in the league, and just it, it, it hurts him when Swift makes mistakes. So that, that was pretty cool to see that interaction. And I guess that the best of all, Amon Ra St. Brown, is like channeling his inner Brady, where he can and does recite the names and schools of all 16 wide receivers that were picked before him in the draft. And it's just, I'm here for it. It's like he probably says it before he goes to sleep every night. It's playing in his head, and he's just out to prove everybody wrong. His dad, father, of course, of Amon Ross St. Brown and Equinemius St. Brown, I believe he's a wide receiver for the Bears. Uh, his dad was Mr. Universe twice. 
And they showed dad working out with the boys and just one tough SOB, I'll tell you that. But uh, yeah, it was pretty entertaining watching the families too in the stands. They got some clips of them. Uh, uh, the Hutchinsons, obviously the St. Browns, they, they kind of featured them. So yeah, it was, it was a good episode. I could never understand watching that draft and seeing Amon Ross St. Brown just still be on the board. I thought he was a day two receiver, that he wasn't going to get past the third round. He went in the fourth round, and you mentioned it. 16 receivers were taken before him. Now, this is a kid that broke the Lions rookie reception and receiving records last season. Obviously, he talked about the receivers that were taken ahead of him, so he's got bigger plans for himself. This isn't just, hey, I'm here as a rookie. This guy wants to become the number one receiver for the Lions, and he wants to become one of the best. So there's, like, huge motivation there. I could never understand it because St. Brown was a very good player at USC. He put up some good numbers. And, you know, he was athletic, and he was a good route runner, and he had good hands, and they went to him in clutch situations. And I felt like, you know, when Pittman moved on, Amon Ra became the guy. Sometimes the decisions that NFL teams make really baffle me because at times you just kind of have to put the pieces together and just pull the trigger on a guy. Why do you let some guys slip? And so I'm, I'm not surprised that this kid is just, you know, he's got a chip on his shoulder and trying to channel his inner Brady, like you said. Yeah, but he's got a list of 16. <laughs> Brady, I think it was six. So that was pretty cool. And he was proudly saying it with his dead serious straight face. And he's, yeah, he's got many chips on his shoulders. A news bit has a little bit of college, has a little pro to this. And Coach Zimmer, you know, obviously was the coach at Minnesota, head coach, defensive coach under Parcells and so forth, shows up. Jackson State, Deion Sanders, uh, was his position coach at Dallas for, I think, four or five years while he was with the Cowboys. And he's going to be a consultant, I guess, or so forth. And they, they talked to him, obviously. They had some quotes in there. Well, the pay isn't very good and so forth. But just looking at this, an older, defensive-minded head coach in the NFL, and you start thinking, okay, what what's kind of the motivation here? One, obviously, it's Dion. I'm sure he loves him. Dion loves Coach Zimmer. Okay, no no problem there. But in terms of why it went wrong in Minnesota, you know, it was, I guess it's come out, I mean, famously didn't have a very good relationship with Kirk Cousins, or I guess just the, the way the offense was run, he wants to run, I mean, defensive head coach. I don't know that there's even a, he, a place for that anymore in the NFL. Some of these younger guys, maybe, you know, they'll work out because they do have better relationships with the offense, whether it be Staley in Los Angeles or... Eberflus in Chicago about this is his first year so we'll see but do you think he's angling to get back in the NFL Alex I mean is this kind of his way to maybe relate with college-aged players so maybe he can relate better with players when he if he ever gets that chance back in the NFL or do you just think that ship has sailed and this is just just an old guy that doesn't know what else to do I think the ship has sailed, to be honest with you. If Mike Zimmer wanted to coach in the NFL, I think he would be doing it. Because before he was a head coach, he was a heck of a defensive coordinator. For Dallas, for Cincinnati, Lou, he did incredible things. His defenses were always in the top 10. 
I can no tell question. you that his secondary, yeah. his defensive backs, I mean, he coached the hell out of them. And his guys always seem to be like all pros or make it to the Pro Bowl. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, that's just the case. I think they, there were probably some offers out there, maybe not as a defensive coordinator, but I'm sure somebody offered him to coach the secondary or the cornerbacks at least. I think this is his relationship with Dion. The fact that they go back and the fact that I think Zimmer has seen guys like Hugh Jackson, Eddie George, who have also, you know, gone to HBCU and have become coaches there. So this isn't only Dion Sanders. It's just a way to kind of connect with the young guys and try to help Dion and, and to try to promote HBCU in general. I don't think that Mike Zimmer will angle back from being a special assistant at Jackson State and then try to go back to the NFL, even as a defensive coordinator. I think he should have stayed there if he wanted to continue on that NFL path. But at this point, I think this is just his last hurrah. And that's why he took this special assistant title and just to help Dion, maybe to, you know, get some guys, coach up the, the secondary and, you know, get the recruiting up a little bit. Because, you know, guys in college, they tend to go with coaches that have been in the NFL, that know what they're talking about because these guys have aspirations to play. Well, big win for Dion, big win for Jackson State, big win for, for the HBCUs. It's certainly those defensive backs, you know, Dion's son included, the number one overall recruit uh, you know, that, that's coming in as a freshman this year. Those guys are going to get top-of-the-line coaching. I mean, you know, Nick Saban, famously, you know, defensive back coach. I mean, obviously, like you said, that's where they want to go. So this may be, you know, a direct shot across the bow at some of these top programs that dion has been doing since he's got there. So this is just one more step in the evolution. And who knows? I mean, as college football is changing and it will continue to, you know, just a great move again for that whole arena there. Dion, Jackson State, HBCU. So that cool. Love to see that. And uh, him kind of giving back. I mean, obviously he's not making, you know, the money or even close to what he's ever made, even at a, as a position coach in the NFL. But yeah, the relationship with Dion obviously trumps all that. If Dion succeeds at Jackson State, and I'm not saying succeeds that he's going to win like 12 or 13 games every season, but if he brings them to become a winning program, do you think a big time college from a power five conference should bring in Dion as a head coach. Do you think that's that's probably the the logical step that in two or three years, Coach Sanders is going to be somewhere else at a much high profile program? I could certainly see it, but in in hearing just you know interviews with him, the podcast that he's been on, what what how invested he is just in the whole HBCU experience. Not that he's going to stay there forever, but he's got a higher purpose. I know it sounds cheesy or whatever, but I really believe that he believes that, that he has a purpose here, not just to coach them as players, but young men and at the historically black colleges and universities. I mean, that the whole piece of it almost sees himself as like a vessel, almost like, like uh, you know, just kind of a, a tool for these kids to use to get to where they want to go. Now, does he have aspirations to be at, at the highest level? I think at a certain point he might, and I'm sure it's, schools will call him. I don't think there's any question that they will they would do it right now just to, to make that splash higher. Now, I don't think it's going to be at one of the blue blood programs 
programs because they just do things on a completely different level. But it may be like a, a lower level SEC school or ACC. And again, depending on how these letters shake out and how these how these conferences shake out. But yeah, I don't I don't think there's any question that they would love to have Dion as part of their brand. I realize that Dion is saying all the right things and Jackson State gave him a heck of an opportunity to become a head coach, to jump from high school to the college ranks. But I think Dion's plans, I mean, he has bigger ambitions than this. He has ambitions to become, you know, a big time college coach and then possibly move on to the NFL. I just think that's where his head is at because he was a very entertaining as an analyst for the NFL network. Obviously, he decided to do a 180 and do coaching. This just looks like the, the next step. I think we'll find him at a major program in a couple of years. If he succeeds there, the NFL will come calling. If he wanted to be like a secondary coach or so forth, I don't think there's any question. Any number of NFL teams would do it right now. Again, like you said, there's a purpose here. And maybe there is a, a grand plan. And maybe, you know, in a few years... You know, Florida State. I mean, I think that would be a big draw to him at his alma mater and just the, the ability to be at a, at a big program. But again, have some affiliation to it or some greater purpose for it. Head coach in the NFL? Who knows? I mean, that, I think sky's the limit. He's certainly provocative, right? I mean, he, I think earlier this week he came out and was talking about the Hall of Fame and just how we need an upper room. We need a starting 11. I mean, you see some of these guys going in now, and I'm paraphrasing, but I need to be in a different room. I don't need, my bust shouldn't be with all these other guys. So he was kind of taking a shot maybe at some of the guys that, that went into the Hall of Fame. Hopefully it wasn't at Leroy Butler, one of his, uh, you know, Florida State brethren, but he does say some crazy stuff, but it's usually with a purpose behind it and it's intended in a certain way and uh, he gets his point across. So I think that's what it would bring to a college, uh, to a, a bigger program and what they would like, because obviously from a recruiting standpoint, just from a branding standpoint, and then obviously he can hire, you know, one of the best staffs you're you're going to find with a bunch of former players and his connections. So yeah, I think he, he would be, he would be a great hire at, at one of those schools. And I think Florida State might be the first one in line at some point in the future. So we had some preseason action I talked about last week. We're looking uh, new faces, different places, so forth, whatever. Just in, in, in some of the games that I watched, and the first name that popped when I was watching the Bears and the Chiefs was Jaquan Brisker, the safety from Penn State uh, for Chicago. Wow. Playing against the ones, making plays all over the field. Looked like, I mean, he'd been there for like three or four years. Nothing, no false steps. I mean, he just looked like a real player. And I got to believe he's going to start week one. Oh, he will. I mean, the Bears don't have much depth at the safety position. I actually thought that when you mentioned the Chiefs and the Bears, I thought you were going to start with your with the Chiefs player. You kind of threw a curveball there. Because I think the the guy that really shined is the guy that you like, that of Purdue, George Karloftis, right? He had uh, a pretty good stat line there against the Bears. Two quarterback hits, one tackle for loss, one sack. Um, you know, I think a lot of people started asking themselves, why did this guy fall to the 30th overall pick? Why wasn't this guy a top 15 lock, you know, to go in the draft? So I thought that was the guy that you were going to start with because, you know, he got consistent pressure when he was out there on the field and the hustle, the motor, 
obviously, yeah, you, you saw that at Purdue, but he surprised me with his quickness and his speed off the edge. Well, I guess, you know, again, as, as close attention as I, I, I pay to the team and watching all the training camp reports and so forth coming out, that was things are trending in that direction. So I guess it wasn't as, as much of a surprise to me, but it's still, you know, good to see. And, and again, obviously, he's got a ton to work on it. Plenty of room for improvement. They they brought in Carlos Dunlap as another edge rusher and so forth. So there's going to be a rotation there. But I don't know. It was just just watching the game and watching the Bears on defense. Even though you know Mahomes you know had one series and I don't know six seven plays right down the field, six different receivers touchdown. Okay, that's it. He was done for the day. But again, this is not things that aren't quite so surprising. But brisker I, I don't know it was just i wasn't expecting it so i guess maybe that was it was more of a surprise i'm all in i the kid just looked really really good watch the steelers game a little bit a lot of huge praise coming for kenny pickett i would say you know pump the brakes a little bit but just watching him not so much i mean forget about the stats just watching him play he looked very comfortable no huge plays but just he was going to the right place with the ball now granted he came in the second half after you know trubisky and, and mason rudolph played but it was very natural for him it looked like he fit he looks like he's the best quarterback of the three and I wouldn't be surprised if he, he starts day one. You had a bunch of pit players there in the end zone, you know, cheering him on. I mean, they, the place went nuts when he, when he came on the field. So that, and that was not a surprise. But he just looks the part. Of course, you know, we talked about George Pickens. Of course, you know, he made some big plays. I mean, the, the catch in the end zone, the touchdown for Mason Rudolph, where he kind of like dragged his toes. and it, it, That looked like just a professional X receiver that has been playing for you know three or four years and again the Steelers find you know a great receiver and uh, he slips in the draft and falls in their lap and so forth and here we go so Pickens Pickett from that game I would say you know kind of shine for me well Colbert struck again in his last draft and and found another wide receiver on day two and I'm gonna start um, you know, a George Pickens fan club soon because I talk about him every week. He was my favorite wide receiver in this year's draft. And when he went to the Steelers, I knew that was a deadly combination. And yeah, the, the route running, his releases, his ability to find that space and kind of make the catch like at the last second. I mean, that's what great wide receivers do. And I think he learned a lot from his father. Obviously, Carl Pickens was a very good receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals in the 1990s, and he put up some good numbers. Might not have been like you know, a career that spanned over 15 years, but he was a good receiver, and I think his son has learned a lot. So and then George Pickens, no doubt, I think he's drawing a lot of attention nowadays. And if it wasn't for like a couple of running backs out there, like maybe like Brees Hall or something like that, George Pickens would be like a favorite in Vegas to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Well, again, if the this is if he keeps flashing during the preseason, I'm sure those odds are you know kind of plummeting as it, as as we speak. Our guy, and we we got to talk about him. I don't know how much you got to see of it, but. Uh, 
Trey Lance, I thought, you know, in the limited time that he was in, made made some pretty good strides, made some big plays, the big, you know, touchdown over the top uh, to Gray there, the, the rookie from SMU, made some better decisions. Now, again, he's not, I don't think he's ever going to be that very accurate, you know, ball placement guy. I mean, you can see even some on some completions where, you know, receivers are jumping, you know, to, to catch the ball even though they're wide open or they're reaching down below their knees to catch a pass. But just watching him, he looks a lot more confident. He showed the ability to slide. So instead of going head first after a run, you know, sliding. So that, that was a good sign. But I liked what I saw from, from Trey Lance. And, uh, you know, again, just small steps. But I, I think he looks a lot more comfortable than he did last year. Keep him on your fantasy team, Lou. Absolutely, and yes. You shouldn't have any doubts about it. I mean, if he's in the right system, he's got the weapons around him. And I think Trey Lance is just going to be fine. I want to mention Romeo Dobbs. Uh, You and I have been talking about the former Nevada wide receiver for the past couple of weeks, and I think he's soon going to become Aaron Rodgers' favorite target on Sundays. You know, he's learning the nuances of the wide receiver position. He knows how to create separation all over the field. He's becoming a better route runner. He is that vertical threat. He made that big-time catch for a touchdown for 33 yards from Jordan Love. He did have a couple of drops, but I think that's something that that didn't show up on film at Nevada all that often. Um, He didn't have that many drops, so I think that's something that he's going to work on. So keep an eye on him. He's definitely got like a a favorite name, uh, you know, Romeo. How many... uh, how many wide receivers that have had success in the NFL or players have been named Romeo? I want to mention an offensive lineman because I think the Chargers are building themselves a heck of an offensive line there uh, in Los Angeles. You know, they've got Corey Lindsley at center. They've got Rashawn Slater at left tackle. Now they've got Zion Johnson, the former Boston College product, who's just blossoming out there. I mean, he's becoming a standout, very fundamentally sound. And, you know, in pass protection and as a run blocker, very nasty. Like I said, we want to focus on Justin Herbert usually when it comes to the Chargers. But the Chargers did well by protecting Justin Herbert. And they have drafted well. They found the right guys, you know, through the draft and in Slater and Zion Johnson. So I just wanted to give praise to an offensive lineman because we usually talk about linebackers, wide receivers, quarterbacks. But... Let's give some love to an O-line. Okay. Well, you know where I'm going here. Uh, back to the wide receiver position. And uh, I guess friend friend of the show, former uh, lacrosse, I guess, best player ever, maybe, or best player at Maryland, best player in the country, then played uh, quarterback at Ferris State, Jared Bernhardt. Now an NFL wide receiver with the Atlanta Falcons. And he did a small appearance on Hard Knocks because he caught the game-winning touchdown against the Lions. And I don't know that they really mentioned his name in that particular place, but here he is again. I mean, this kid just, he can do... Just about anything. I mean, it's, I guess the biggest upset is that he's not playing for New England because uh, Belichick loves his lacrosse players. But wanted to shout out Jared Bernhardt. Fine, was a, a former you know, guest on the show, so maybe we can get him back if he makes the team. I don't, did you see that? Did you happen to see that? Lou, when we talked to this kid, I told him switch positions. Are you thinking about becoming a wide receiver? Obviously, he listened. 
and some NFL teams. <laughs> so also it was listen. you. You talked him into it. All of right. course, I discovered him. I'm telling we're you, taking, I discovered him. We're taking all the credit here, folks. Especially if he makes the team. Especially if he makes the team and becomes like you know a great special teams player and an offensive weapon for them. They can line him up in the backfield on those end arounds. You know, he can catch those screens. You know, he's slippery because that's what he did a lot as a Ferris State quarterback during that championship run that they did. So, okay, we have to take a bow and take all the credit with this kid because somebody listened to our podcast. You know, we were promoting him, and, you know, the scouts aren't sleeping. They certainly listen to pros like us. I'm almost certain of it, and they're like, hey, listen to this guy. I mean, he's mentioning, can you play wide receiver? You know, are you willing to play wide receiver? And he was like, hey, I'm willing to do whatever. And here he is getting a shot. This kid is going to make the team. I'm telling you, Lou. We'll get him back on the show. We'll do that. You heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first on a couple occasions, actually. Okay, now, before we wrap up, we're going to, I guess, the money portion of our show, the finances here. Uh, Derwin James gets uh, his extension, another one of the, I guess, the famous hold-ins this uh, training camp, or guys are not necessarily fully practicing, but not holding out, but kind of working on the side, doing different things while they get their contracts straightened away. And here we go, Derwin James, four-year extension, $76 million. So it turns out to be, the, I guess, with the years left, five-year deal, $85 million. Top money for safety ever. Uh, I guess Minka Fitzpatrick had the title for a couple months. There's no question Derwin James is one of the best players in the NFL. Forget about position, whatever, because he can play just about anywhere in the defensive backfield. I guess the big question is, is to lay out this kind of cash at that position is the fact that I guess the last three years, he's missed 30 games, 49 games played for the Chargers. He's missed 30. 30 of them. Hopefully, a lot of it is just bad luck. I don't know that he really had an injury problem coming into the NFL. So again, for the Chargers' sake, for Derwin's sake, for everybody's sake, we hope that he stays healthy. But do you think that might have entered into the conversation? Or is it just, hey, Derwin James is a unicorn. We got to pay him. I think they had to pay him. I mean, whenever he's on the football field, which is... Not all the time. You know, he is a player that makes impact. And he's a player that you fear out there in the secondary. There are not too many players that you can say that about as far as, you know, NFL cornerbacks or safeties. He's just, he's a unique player. And hopefully, you know, that injury bug that has followed him in the NFL is going to be on the back burner a little bit. But, you know, when I look at his stats, I mean, he's certainly earned some all-pro honors, you know, in those seasons in 2018 and 2021. He has topped over 100 tackles. He's logged, you know, multiple sacks and, and interceptions. And, you know, last year he registered 118 tackles, two sacks, two picks, and three forced fumbles. So Staley used him in different ways. And, you know, when a player can help you, when he can be, you know, your slot corner, when he can blitz, when he can defend the run, when he can also play in the deep half and, and not hurt you in the passing game. I mean, those players are unique, and those players usually get paid. So I trust the Chargers here. You never know as far as injuries are concerned because it could happen at any time. He could get injured, and it's over. 
I hope that we'll see more of Derwin James on the football field than in the training room. Yeah, I want to say like 58 million of it was guaranteed. But yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, we've been talking maybe for the last year or so about positionless football. And usually that that comes more so on the defensive side, you know, especially defensive backs that can play safety, that can play slot corner. They can, you know, if you need to, they'll line up against the wide receiver on the outside. There's maybe a handful of guys that can do that successfully. And Derwin is the best of that group. So yeah, it's a very small club. Uh, We saw the wide receiver position kind of get unlocked money-wise. Safeties have now started, you know, we're getting paid here. Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, there have been some others. Yet, you know, the tight end position seems to still be lagging a little bit, even though Kittle, Andrews, Kelsey have kind of opened it up a little bit. Do you think that one continues to to go up, or do you think maybe there's another position that kind of gets unlocked? No, I think it's going to be tight end just because there are going to be some guys in a couple of years that will be due for big-time extensions, and that's TJ Hawkinson of the Detroit Lions. Kyle Pitts is going to come up in a couple of years. So I think, you know, those guys are going to unlock that position. I think the tight ends will go to another level just because of how creative teams are lining up, you know, there's two, three tight ends at a time. And, you know, these guys are catching so many balls. Do you remember when you and I marveled, you know, back in the like late 1980s, early 1990s, you know, when there was like Shannon Sharp and. And then it was like Tony Gonzalez and how many receptions they they caught, right? But it was still very rare, right? It was still a very small group of guys, of tight ends that were able to contribute in in that way and put up some huge numbers. Now you just kind of see the evolution of this position that in every offense they're catching a lot of balls. And I just think it's going to continue. And uh, I think the tight end, is the next position. I'm not saying it's going to challenge the wide receivers because the wide receivers are on another level. They're somewhere on another planet, but I think the tight ends will catch up a little bit. Yeah, certainly a function of the game, you know, the game opening up where, you know, again, going back to those days you were talking about is the tight ends were, you know, expected to really be more blockers for the most part. And there was a lot more running game. As far as the money's concerned, you know, again, as offenses broken opened up, those positions are getting paid more, and you see where the running backs—it's almost—it's almost malpractice anymore for front offices to give these big extensions to running backs because it just—it seems to blow up in their face, and there's such a glut of players that you can get, you know, later rounds, uh, stay young, you know, you don't pay it you know the second contract to to a running back so that just you know the, the evolution of the game has kind of minimized the uh i guess the opportunity financially for running backs to really get rich so we'll have to see you know as time goes on will kids you know younger kids start you know and i'm sure it's already started shy away from being a running back if they have some receiving skills because hey i only have a short window to get paid that's where you get paid as wide receiver. And as we go with some of the tight ends where these, I guess, hybrid type guys that are, you just got to call them pass catchers because 
they line up all over the place. I mean, you see the way Reed uses uses Kelsey. You don't know where he's going to line up from down to down. He's rarely in line with the with the uh, with the offensive line, and let, unless it's short yardage or they're going to do something goofy. So yeah, it's interesting. Again, it's just the watching the kind of the game evolve over the last few decades has been kind of fascinating to watch and just as things keep opening up and it's more premium on the passing game that uh we'll see what happens to the running back position it just uh if you have one that's great all of a sudden you you have a, a different way of playing so again it is cyclical we'll see if it kind of cycles back to running backs or we it starts to diminish even more speaking of the running back position i need your help as a seasoned fantasy football manager okay mm-hmm. i mean you've been you doing know it what for 30 about. years of course I, I trust you lou who is more likely to stay healthy this season out of these two running backs christian mccaffrey or saquon or saquon barkley, barkley. <laughs> i think that's pretty much the question every manager is going to especially if you have a high pick wow you know roll the dice on that one i would tend to stay away from both of them just because of that fact is that yeah when they're on the field they can be great and how do you pick against them i mean mccaffrey would be my pick right if i if it was either one of those two but you look at the history and you're like you know you got these other guys that are a hell of a lot more durable you know you that's why i think jonathan taylor is going number one overall in a lot of leagues still young hasn't really shown any propensity for injuries so the younger you can stay with your running backs i was just say as a rule that's where you want to go some of these guys that have been injured in the past it's probably a trend and you're better off going younger somebody that's going to have a better chance to play the whole season those guys might be great for a smaller sample but you know it's a marathon so go younger go with a guy that you feel more confident health-wise so the short answer from you is neither if you have to choose one i'm going with mccaffrey every day because of his receiving ability and uh, just the fact that i think he's just more a dynamic player i would have so went with saquon because I think yeah. Saquon has been having a good training camp. I believe in Brian Dable. I think he's going to get him involved, especially knowing his quarterback situation there. He's bound to bounce back a little bit. And I think I think McCaffrey days might be behind him a little bit. I don't think he can stay healthy for the entire you know 17-week season. Well, again, I mean, you're rolling the dice with either of them. So... Good luck on that one, Alex. Uh, <laughs> all right, so last one. And big money. I mean, obviously, this is huge business. This is a little college, a little pro mixed in. The Big Ten just signed their new media deal. Seven years, $7 billion spread over CBS, Fox, and NBC. NBC is going to have a Saturday night college football, I guess much like Sunday night. So they'll have like 15 or 16 games and then CBS and Fox will kind of split up the the Saturdays. But I mean, this is exactly the reason you saw UCLA and USC make the jump. Uh, It's just amazing. And just for, uh, I guess, context, the NFL is about 10 billion per year media. Uh, the English Premier League, $4.3 billion per year. The NBA, 2.6. Major League Baseball, 1.96. Next league, 
the Big Ten. That's right, 1.07 million. The NHL, 625 million per year. The SEC, now this is going to be an interesting one, it's 588 right now. The Big Ten got $7 billion over seven years. What is the SEC going to get? I mean, ESPN, I guess, is going, they kind of got it. They stepped away from the Big Ten. So you got to believe they're ponying up big cash here. I mean, is it going to be seven years, $8 billion? You got to believe it's going to be more, right? Of course it's going to be more. It's always more. I, yeah, college football is just... Things are getting crazy. The The TV deals are getting crazy every year. And then I really do have a problem with these kids getting paid, signing these NIL deals. It's preposterous, Lou. I mean... After having said that the league is getting $7 billion a year and none of that money goes to the players or their, their employees, so to speak, you have a problem with the kids making any money? I do, because it's still... It, it takes away from being a college athlete. If you want to make money, go get a summer job. I, I don't know. I just, I still can't accept it, Lou. I mean, it's been a while already, and these kids are deservingly so getting paid some more, some less. You know, companies are promoting their products, you know, by having these kids wear their apparel or whatever it is, or obviously do commercials for whatever they they choose to be doing, but I still have a problem with it. I remember college athletes like in the 1990s, you know, in the early 2000s, and there's just, there was a different art. What's the difference between college football nowadays and the NFL? Tell me that. I mean, just the, the size of the contracts that, that the players are making. Some guys may take a pay cut going to the NFL. I mean, if you're a college, the NCAA rules stated that if you're on scholarship at college, you're not, you're not allowed to have a job, so to speak. That, the, those were the rules. And I bet if you asked any of those kids, and we talked about Deion Sanders being provocative, do you think he would have taken an NIL deal when he was at Florida State? How much would he have gotten paid? So, yeah, I mean, times change. You know, the thing evolves. It's never going to be anything close to what it used to be. But if you, all those kids, if you would pull them to see, hey, if you could have got paid for every jersey sold or going on, you know, doing a TV commercial for the local car dealership or a national ad, whatever it happens to be, of course they're going to take it. And they should. But that's just it. Th this business, now just looking at the Big Ten, $7 billion over seven years for the rights to show their games, but the people that are producing that or drawing the eyeballs get zero of that money it's coming from outside sources and so forth so the, the only problem i have with it is when they use it to get high school players to come to the school i would say that somehow you know if they could rein that in to some degree or cap that in in some way but once they're there, if they're responsible for producing all this income, that they should be able to get a little bit of that, at least be able to eat. Some of these guys, I mean, Chris Sims telling stories where, you know, because, you know, his family had money, you know, Phil and so forth, he goes, he would basically buy pizza for the guys once a week because they didn't have enough money to eat outside of what was being provided training table wise. Let's be honest here. In the good old days, colleges, big-time colleges, paid these players under the table. They're going to sure. continue 
to pay these players under under the table. Well, now, now it's not players, under the table. It doesn't have now, to be under the table anymore. But now these players are also going to get paid from, you know, NIL deals and stuff like that. And so by the time these guys make it to the pros, they're going to feel like millionaires. They're going to have their own brand. They could care less about football. I well, think here's the, the NFL thing. There's going to there's going to be a very small percentage that fall into that. There's always going to be kids, and we read stories every preseason, every so forth, where you have the guys that just want it more than the other ones. The ones that take all the money in college, and that kind of clouds their judgment. I don't think we're going to make it in the NFL anyway. Certainly, we'll never get to a second contract. Again, I don't think it's going to destroy anything. I think it it will actually weed out, uh, when you talk about football character, those guys that you can tell were just doing it for the money. Now, obviously, the guys are going to get paid. You know, you're still going to you know sign contracts, but the guys that you really want on the team and guys that are going to show you that they're there because they love the game and they want to play and they want to be the best. That I think is always going to be there, and the cream is always going to rise to the top. And those character guys that again that they just love what football does for them. They weed themselves out, except now, instead of getting cut, you know, in training camp and not making any money, they made some money in college and yeah, okay, so there's the door. I respect that we can disagree on a topic and uh, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) All right, gang, money's the root of all evils, right, Alex? Come on now. It's to play for the love of the game. Okay, gang, that's going to do it for show number 100. Come on, let's hear it. This is a, Alex and myself and have now two shows that we've gone at least 100 episodes. I think in a Blitzcast back in the day, we might have done 150 or 200 of them. And now we're at 100 on this one. So that was a pretty cool thing. So, uh, Alex, happy 100. Happy birthday to you as well, Lou. And there you go. Woohoo! I mean, we deserve it. 100 episodes is a lot. We did it, what, in a span of a year and a half? It's almost two years, but uh, yeah, we'll take it. All right, gang, that is going to do it for this week. For my pal Alex, I'm Lou. Hit subscribe. On the way out, peace!